If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, uh, just by way of introduction, my name's David, Pastor David. It's a joy to get to be one of the pastors at Scent Church uh, in, in the North Charlotte area, not too far from here is where we gather uh, over in a school. And so it's great to, to uh, not have a basketball goal right behind me. Um, and uh, it was nice to not uh, have to set up some chairs this morning. Uh, and so thank, thanks, uh, Kings Church. Thanks, uh, Newell, for letting us come and worship Jesus with you today. It really is an honor to get to be here. Um, one thing I just want to say briefly uh, to King's Church and, and to uh, the folks who were formerly New Old Baptist Church, uh, we're just here to celebrate with you. We are absolutely thrilled about what God is doing here. We, uh, as a church plant and as a pastor, we, we know that Charlotte is growing so fast. We need hundreds, if not thousands more churches to be planted in this city in the next 10, 20 years just to keep up with the growth so that we might see the gospel go to every house and every person and every neighborhood in this city. And so we are thrilled for what God is doing here. And we celebrate with you. And we are here to stay as one church plant to another uh, and, and then one who has a great legacy, gospel legacy that's, that's passing the torch and, and moving uh, from, from Newell Baptist to King's Church. We're with you. We celebrate with you. And we are excited about all that God is doing in and through uh, you all as a people. And so that's why we're here, to say we love you, we're for you. If we can uh, help in any way possible, uh, we're, we are happy, happy to do that. And so uh, love you all, celebrate all God is doing here. Uh, secondly, uh, I, I, one of the things I do every time I preach is welcome, especially our kids under 18. We're thrilled. I'm thrilled that all of you are here. But man, we love having kids uh, with us and we love having them especially in the room with us. And so kids, you know the drill if you're from Scent. If you're not from Scent Church, I would invite you to help all the kids out. Uh, and I just would ask all kids to, on the count of three, just so I know you're here and you're with me, to say as loud as you can, Jesus is king. All right? On three. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, you guys help me out too. All right? Everybody, on three. One, two, three. Awesome. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word to us. Let's pray together. God, thank you again that we get to worship you together in this place. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is revealed to us in it. I pray now that you would use me to proclaim your word faithfully to your people. I pray that if anyone in here uh, hears this word and doesn't know you, they would repent and trust in you. Pray if anyone would hear it later, they would do the same. And I pray for those who do know that you are the greatest gain in all of the universe, that you would reignite our hearts, that you would help us to, to bow again in reverence and awe of all that you have done and all that we have in you, Christ Jesus, that you are far better than anything in this world. And so God, use again me now, please, uh, for your glory. May all of us leave here looking more like you, Jesus. I ask it in your name, Christ. Amen. So I, uh, I don't love standing in line for things. Uh, it's not my favorite thing in the world to do. Uh, but my kids enjoy theme parks. They really like Disney World. If you got beef with Disney World, we can talk about that another time. But we've taken our kids to Disney World a couple times. And, and, uh, and here's what will happen. I have a limit as to how long I'll stand in line. 45 minutes, that's it. And that's only for like the, the best of the best. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not standing 45 minutes in line for just any ride. But the best of the best of the best, you get 45 minutes of my time and that's it. All right? I'm not standing in line longer than that. But I will stand in line for uh, the best of the best of the best. It reminds me of when people used to stand in line uh, back when, you guys remember when these things we carry in our pockets first came out, when the first iPhone came out, and people would stand in line for hours and hours to camp out to get a phone, or when people used to stand in line for all sorts of things. But, but here's, here's what people are doing when they stand in line. They're counting the cost. They're saying, I'm willing to give up, may, maybe it's sleep, maybe it's uh, hydration, maybe it's food, maybe it's whatever it might be, they're saying, I'm going to give this up so that I get whatever thing it is that I'm waiting in line for, a thrill ride or a piece of technology. See, I don't think that people are looking to be necessarily satisfied in the things like an, an Apple phone or an Android or a ride at Disney World, but what I do think is that all of us are looking to be satisfied in something and we are all of the time making choices about our gains and losses. We gain by losing regularly in our lives. When we go to work, when we stay home from work, when we pick up a hobby, when we binge watch Netflix, when we go on vacation, anytime we spend money. And there's something for all of us that we think is above them all. Something that's bringing the most value, the most worth, the most joy to our lives. Something that we would be giling, willing to give everything else up for. And if we've not found that thing in our lives yet, I believe we're searching for it and we'll spend our lives doing so. Some of us may have even thought we found that thing to bring us the most joy. The thing that's the greatest gain in all the world, only to be left wanting. 
in all of our striving and straining, we continue to lose more than we gain if we have not gained Christ. And this is what Paul is, this is what he's found out. And this is what he's talking about to the Philippian church here. This is what he's trying to remind them of and convince them of, that that Christ really is the greatest gain in all the universe. That there is nothing in this world that compares to knowing Christ Jesus and sharing in his sufferings and worshiping with him for all eternity. There is nothing that compares. And Paul is writing this to this fledgling, probably 10 years old or younger church in the city of Philippi to remind them, hey, there's people coming in from the outside trying to maybe add to what you've already heard about Jesus, or they're trying to detract from the good news of the gospel. What you need to be centered on is Jesus. Know that he really is the greatest gain in all the universe. And if you haven't realized by now, that is the main point of this text and the sermon that knowing Christ is the greatest gain in all the universe. This is what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is worth losing it all for. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of the Bible. That what we have found in him is the greatest treasure in all the world. He is truly the greatest gain. And so Paul is writing to convince them of that. He uh, will walk through three reasons why he says this. First, knowing Christ causes you to rejoice in every circumstance. This is why he's the greatest gain. Secondly, knowing Christ leads you to reject everything else in this world. And then finally, knowing Christ makes you righteous now and for all eternity. This is the reason why, these are the reasons, some of the reasons Paul lists here in Philippians 3 for why Christ truly is the greatest gain in all the universe. First, knowing Christ causes you to rejoice in every circumstance. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Finally, Paul writes, and you guys know the the, the joke about when a preacher says finally, right? Y'all know this? Little boy was sitting in the pew with his dad one day. The preacher said, finally. He said, dad, what's that mean? He said, nothing, all right? Finally, Paul writes, means nothing for Paul and for me, just so you know. All right, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh knowing Christ Paul says causes you to rejoice in every circumstance just a tiny bit of context here because I don't have time to go through all of it but essentially uh, Paul's writing back from prison probably in Rome to this church in Philippi and he's writing to remind them of the good news of Jesus he's writing to remind them again that to, to rejoice in every circumstance that Christ really is all that you need in this world, that he is worthy of your life. He is uh, incredible and amazing, and he's your savior. So worship him in every single circumstance. 
we know that there's from this passage in particular, there's probably people, and we know from other books of the Bible, letters that Paul wrote, that Paul would likely go to a town and then leave it after sharing the gospel for a few years. And then other people would come in behind Paul and try to kind of undo what he did with preaching the gospel. And, and most popularly, they would, they would try to add to the good news of Jesus by saying, oh yeah, you can follow Jesus if you have faith in Christ and also you get circumcised. And also you become a Jew. And also you follow all these ritual laws. And also you must do these things if you really want to be a Christian. And Paul's fed up. He's fed up with it. And he's writing here saying, rejoice in every circumstance, even when people come at you that have no business coming at you, trying to add things to the gospel. He says here, rejoice, my brothers. First, he's saying, your family, your family. Newell Kings sent church when Paul writes, my brothers, he's saying to us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, we are united as one church, one people by the blood of Jesus. At one point in our lives, for those of us who are in Christ, we were outside of Christ, not a part of a family, but now we have been brought into the family of God. We've been adopted in. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And His blood is what unifies us. His blood is what makes us family. His blood is what brings us together today. Paul writes, rejoice in this. You've been made a part of the family of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, rejoice as you look out for these dogs, these evildoers, these flesh mutilators. Again, for the sake of time, Paul's, and there's a lot that's going on in the Greek original language here. But essentially what Paul is doing is he's calling these guys out that would have come in after him and said, you must be circumcised. Through some of the language, they, they would have called Gentiles, the Jews of that day would have called the Gentiles evildoers and dogs. And, and even the word he uses here for flesh mutilators is, is a similar word to that of circumcision. And he's kind of twisting it and, and making it uh, uh, an evil word, if you will, to, to show them you actually, those who would add to the gospel of Jesus, those who would say, you can't just have faith in Christ and repent and trust in him alone, that if you're adding anything to the gospel, that you're actually the evildoers, the dogs, and the flesh mutilators. He says, rejoice as you look out for these dogs, evildoers, and flesh mutilators. And you see, for you and I, for anyone that tries to convince us that we must add anything to the good news of Jesus that you've received, God says to us, rejoice as, as the enemy or your flesh or other people try to convince you, hey, you're not good enough for Jesus. You're, you're not clean enough. You're not uh, fixed up enough. You're not, you, you must add these things and do these things. And you, you can, sure, you can come just as you are, but then you've got to make yourself clean. Or you've got to make yourself clean before you come. Anyone who would say those things, Paul is writing to them saying, rejoice. That you don't have to do anything more than trust in the finished work of Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord as people come at you trying to convince you or your own flesh or the enemy tries to convince you. Jesus really doesn't love you. 
he's not really loving you that much. You need to work harder to earn his love. We must rejoice in Christ and what he's done as these lies come our way. And then he says rejoice as a part of the true circumcision. Verse 3, we are truly the circumcised. Not these people that are trying to add to the gospel, but us. We are the true circumcision, those who have placed their faith in Jesus. He says rejoice, rejoice as those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Church, can I tell you today, we have much to rejoice in. If we are blood-bought sons and daughters of Jesus, we, of all people, should be the most joyful. We should be the most happy. We should be the most excited. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit of God is alive and well in us. He works in us. He moves in us. He changes us. He shapes us. He, he gives us all that we need to walk through this life and into the next. God dwells with us. We glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Why do we give him glory? When we're glory-hungry seekers, we say, as those who have been saved by Jesus, we give you the glory. Why do we give him the glory? Because he's rescued us. He's redeemed us. He, being born of a virgin, lives a perfect life, dies a death in our place on a brutal cross, is buried in a tomb, rises on the third day, victorious over sin and death in hell, and then says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In me you find rest. Trust in me. Hope in me. Find joy in me. That gain you're walking through life trying to find is in me. And so we, brothers and sisters, rejoice as a part of the true circumcision. And this is certainly a theme throughout Philippians. If you know the book well, he'll write in a few verses down in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul is saying Rejoice, church, through COVID, through 15, 18 months of craziness, through every circumstance, every trial, everything that comes your way, we can and should rejoice because Christ is our greatest gain. I'm reminded of Fanny Crosby. Probably many of you know Fanny Crosby. Can I get a show of hands? Yes. All right. Love it. Fanny Crosby sometimes known as the queen of hymns, the queen of hymns. If you know Fanny's story, you know she was blinded at the age of six weeks old by, by a doctor. Somebody need to slap that man. But he was gone and nobody ever saw him again. But nonetheless, this doctor messed up her eyes, blinded, six weeks old. She lived her whole life this way till 95, lived a wonderful, godly life full of joy. Went through all kind of crazy circumstances we don't have time to dive into. But Fanny Crosby is known for, she didn't even start writing hymns until she was around 40 years old. Wrote over 9,000 hymns. Some of them we still sing today because they're awesome. Blessed assurance. Say by grace, draw me near, safe in the arms of Jesus. All the way my Savior leads me, to God be the glory. Some of these hymns that, that, that old Fanny Crosby wrote. Here's what Fanny Crosby said about having joy in every circumstance of life through her blindness. Dad died when she was just a young child. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about 
me. Fanny Crosby shows us we are to rejoice in every circumstance. Not only does knowing Christ lead us to rejoice in every circumstance, it leads us to reject everything else. Knowing Christ leads us to reject everything else. In verses 4 through 7, Paul is giving us his, his, uh, his, his merit, his resume, if you will, of, hey, you guys, all you flesh mutilators, you think you have reason to boast in the flesh? You think you're amazing? You think you followed the law to a T? Let me tell you what I did. I have more reason to boast. Listen to what he says. Though I myself, in verse 4, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, I reject all of these other things as ways that I could gain entrance into the kingdom of God. I'm rejecting everything else because I've found Christ. And we'll talk more about what it means that he, and what he has in Christ in a moment. But first we need to understand that Paul's saying, here's all the things I've done. And he lists out these seven things, seven reasons that essentially could be summarized in, in, in his, his heritage or his past and his hard work. His heritage and his hard work. And he's saying, I reject these things. I was born a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. These things are not what gives me gain in this universe. I've strived and I've strived and I've strived through these things. And when I found Christ Jesus, these, all my hard work, all my zeal, all my effort, I see them as loss. See, what Paul's doing here is he's setting up a new scorecard in a way. What's one, what once was valuable to him is no longer valuable. It's like, uh, it's like the NBA. The playoffs are on. Maybe you like the NBA, maybe you don't. That's basketball. We meet in the gym, so we talk about basketball some. Um, but it's like the NBA. Now, if you know anything about kind of basketball, it's changed. Steph Curry has changed the entire game of the league. Right Now, like, if you can't shoot, if you can't get up 43s a game, you don't have a chance at winning an NBA title. The scorecard is different now. You, you must, you can't just have Shaq Diesel in the, in the paint getting twos, dunking on, yamming on folks every, every, every other play. You got to have four or five guys that can throw it up from downtown or you don't have a chance. See, the scorecard has changed for the way the game is played. Or you could, I like sports, I'm sorry if you don't like them and it totally doesn't make sense to you. We can, I'll give you another illustration later. But, but it's like in, in, the, in college football, which I love. But college football, go Bulldogs, not Clemson. I love you, Chad. Um, they're playing each other September 6th. We got to get tickets. So remind me, maybe another time. All right. It's not important right now. If anybody loves Jesus a lot and has like a deep wallet and want to pay for Chad and I to go to the Georgia-Clemson game, kickoff game in Charlotte in a few months, see me after. I'd love, we'd love for you to bless us that way. All right. We'll clear it with the ladies later. All right, nonetheless. It's football. It's changed. You, you got to have, uh, you got to, linebackers used to be giant dudes. Used to be like 6'3", 260. You just wanted somebody that could plug holes. Now, if you, if you can't run a 40 and 4'4", you can't play linebacker at that level. 
If you don't have speed to stretch the field and score 40 a game, you don't have a chance. The game has changed. The scorecard is different. What Paul is saying here is, I've found Christ. The scorecard is different. I'm no longer running after these things that I thought were going to give me worth and value and satisfaction because I found the Savior. Everything has changed. When you find Christ as a new scorecard, things that used to matter no longer matter. Paul is saying everything I've lived for in this life no longer has any value to me. What I thought was bringing me worth and meaning and purpose didn't. But here's the thing, it wasn't that hard to give up. Because what he gained in Christ was even better. See, it's like, if you go to Sin Church, you know I like to talk about my wife. Because she's amazing. But it's like me finding a wife. When I found her, it was super easy to reject every other woman on the planet. And that's no knock at y'all ladies in the room. You're probably wonderful ladies. You're just not the most amazing one in the universe. Because I already got her. I found her. And I, and I got her. And so I rejected everything else. And it wasn't like hard to do. It was like, she's amazing. And she kind of likes me a little bit. I can't believe it. Let's go. Right? Like that's, that's what happens. And this is what Paul is saying. I've found, and, and baby Dumplin', I love you like crazy, you know that, but a million times more amazing than a man who finds a wife is a soul who finds Christ Jesus and says, it is simply easy to reject everything else this world has to offer me. You have nothing to offer. Christ is everything. So what are we losing? All attempts at finding worth and righteousness outside of Christ. See, we live in a culture full of self-righteousness and self-worth and people striving and going after it. And what we must see is all our attempts at self-righteousness are ultimately, as Paul says here in verse 8, not to be crass at all, but a pile of dung. And rubbish. In the Greek, it's a kind of a made-up word that Paul says here, but it's a strong word. Paul's trying to say it, it means nothing because I found Christ. And the reason why Paul rejects everything else is ultimately because he's gained Christ. And so what did he gain? And what do we gain as we receive Christ? Our last point this morning is that knowing Christ makes you righteous now and for all eternity. Now and for all eternity. Through knowing Christ more and more, we see again and again what we have gained. There's tons that we gain, but essentially here in, in verses 8 through 11, it's one long sentence. Uh, Paul's, Paul's essentially saying, I've gained Christ. And then he's got these three subordinate clauses to show, I've gained Christ. And, and, and here are the things that come along with that, why he is so amazing. I'll sum it up in two ways. We get the righteousness of Christ, and we get the resurrection of Christ. The righteousness of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. In, in, in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When we are in Christ through faith, when we have said, I have found Christ Jesus, he has shown me that he loves me. He's proven it by his death on the cross. He's proven that he's victorious by his resurrection from the grave. He's proven that any can come to him through repentance and faith by preaching the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. And when we see the beauty and the majesty of Christ and we repent and trust in him, we see that we have gained everything our soul could ever long for. And what we have in Christ is ultimately his righteousness. This is what we just sang about. This is what Paul's writing here. I don't have a righteousness of my own. That I can't earn it. I can't work for it. That my heritage and my hard work is not going to get me into heaven. It's not going to get me joy. It's not going to get me peace. It's not going to get me satisfaction. That only the righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. The only perfectly righteous one. Who became, as 1 Corinthians said, uh, sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the beauty that we receive. We're clothed. As the song we just sang, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is what we get. And so that all of our sins, past, present, and future, if we are in Christ, are no longer seen. They are seen through the righteous lens of Jesus. We've been made perfectly spotless through the blood of Jesus. Secondly, we see that we have the resurrection of Christ. So, so Paul's going from essentially justification to glorification in a lot of ways here, from, from coming to know Jesus all the way into heaven and beyond. That, that what, we're, what we get in Christ is the righteousness in Him and, and the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ. It is the greatest gain in all the universe. It's what we are looking for. And Paul says he wants to know Christ more and more, and one of the primary ways he knows him is through sharing in his suffering, through walking through hard circumstance, through coming uh, through trials and tribulation over and over and over again. He says, I want to know Christ. Now here for Paul, he's writing this, and I know there's lots of different ages in the room here, but Paul's writing this as someone who's been walking with Jesus for at least 35 years here. And he's saying, I want to know Jesus more. I want to know him more. I want to know more of my Savior. I can't get enough. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to walk with him through every trial. I want to go with him in everything that he has laid out for me in this life and all the way to the next. I want to know him more because he's my greatest gain. It's like a man who loves a woman well. My wife and I have been married 11 years, I know for some of y'all that's like, you just got married, are you still on your honeymoon? Others of you, you're like you've been married in eternity. 11 years, five kids, a lot of love between us. My affections for her grow deeper every single day, and I just want to know her more. Because I love her, and I know her better than anybody in this room, and I want to know her more. This is what Paul is saying. I've gained everything in Christ, and all I want to do in this world is know Him more. 
And so the call for us today, as Paul says, to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. No trouble for me to stand before you and proclaim the good news of Jesus again and again. And it's safe for you to be reminded again and again that Jesus is truly the greatest gain in all the world. So I have one question for us today as we close. Finally, and I mean finally. What does your everyday life say about what you believe is the greatest gain in all the universe? What does your everyday life say about what you believe is the greatest gain in all the universe? I know for many of us, we might would say, yeah, yeah, Christ is the best. I've received him. But I'm asking, what does your everyday life look like? What are the practical outworkings of your life day in and day out that would say, I'm rejecting everything else because I just want to know this Savior. And oh, by the way, I got to tell the world about him. I got to tell everybody. I found the greatest gain in all the universe. Everybody has to know. What is your life saying about this reality? See, I talk about my wife a lot in sermons and not just in sermons. And, I, and But it's because she's amazing. She's a gift. Do we talk about our Savior? Do we share him with those around us? Are we spending our lives trying to know Christ more and help others do the same? What are you striving for? What are you going after? See, the beauty of the gospel says we rest in Christ Jesus, in his righteousness alone. And then we continue to strive in his righteousness toward the resurrection. D.A. Carson says it this way. Paul recognizes that in God's universe, the most important thing is to know God. In a flow of history that inevitably runs toward the judgment, the great judgment in which God's verdict matters, which only God, God's verdict matters, to be declared righteous by this creator God, this judge is infinitely more precious than anything else one can imagine. It's infinitely more important than having all the laurels in the world, whatever ecclesiastical, academic, societal, financial, or personal. Since that righteousness from God depends absolutely at this point in redemptive history on gaining Christ and being found in him, Paul wants it above all things. Everything else is rubbish. It's a pile of dung. Or as the kids like to say, doo-doo. Everything else compared to knowing what does our everyday life say about what we're believing is the greatest gain in all the universe? Newell, Sent, Kings, Jesus is the greatest gain. And if we have him, we get the honor and privilege of showing the world what the greatest gain is. May we do so faithfully until Christ comes or calls us home. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We need you. Thank you for time and your word. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. You are the greatest gain. I pray that if anyone in here does not know you as their greatest gain, you'd, you would draw them to yourself. You'd save them. You would, God, use your word to penetrate their hearts so that they might 
know you and the power of your resurrection. And Lord, for those of us that do, may we be reminded afresh again and again, you are the greatest God. Thank you. That you're the best in the universe. And you've given us yourself as a gift. Mama, we worship you. We're in awe of you. We love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Christ. Amen.